0: Hello, and welcome to the Alternate History Class Podcast. My name is Andrew, and here I explore alternate history through the lens of a history class in another timeline. Last week, we looked at the crisis of 1880. This week, we look at how the U.S. responds to its first victory over the Confederacy. Picking up in 1881 today. Now, in February of that year, you would see the temperance movement begin to move across the two countries. In the United States, Kansas became the first state to prohibit all alcoholic beverages on February 19th of 1881. The next year, on July 27th, Iowa would become a dry state as well. And when the state of Dakota entered in 1889, it entered as dry as well. Dry being the term for states that had passed prohibition laws or had prohibition in their constitution. Now getting back to the nation as a whole. On March 1st of 1881, the U.S. passed the U.S. Conscription Act which required all men between the ages of 18 and 24 to serve a minimum of three years in the military, if they were serving in the infantry, or four years if they were serving in the artillery or cavalry divisions, and drastically increased the size of the standing army to 200,000. had not even approached 100,000. The Navy was increased to 20,000 standing members, and the Marine Corps was nearly doubled to 2,500 members. Now, this was inspired by the German Empire, who the United States was trying to replicate, seeing the rise of Prussia and having so many German immigrants come to the country the United States was easily inspired by what it saw as one of its parent nations at this point, based on the strong German settlements in the Midwest. Now, outside the U.S., the socialist movement had started to gain factor, and in the 1882 midterms, the movement first began to rise to prominence under the social labor party as it won 10 seats uh, mostly in the upper midwest but it was the first socialist party to win any federal election now 1883 was marked by the utah riots when protesters made up mostly of women protested military governor william tecumseh sherman and the government's handling of the Mormons in the occupied territory of Utah, which sparked a public backlash when they saw how Sherman acted and responded and put down these protests. He used violent force. And this would become a major issue in the election of 1884, in which the election ended up actually going to the House of Representatives, as neither Grover Cleveland nor Secretary of State Everts had earned enough Electoral College votes due to the Socialist Party taking just enough here and there to hold both major parties short of a majority in the Electoral College. What happened is the Socialist Labor Party representatives ended up backing the Cleveland Tilden ticket on the grounds that Utah would have its occupation lifted because the socialists, in an attempt to try to win votes of Mormons who did live outside Utah, though they were few and far between, had decided to take up the cause of Utah. Uh, Now, this would be the start of the SLP's decline. Nothing that wasn't helped by the Haymarket riot of. 1886, nearly a year after the occupation of Utah had been lifted and the party had won a major political win in their eyes, their association with the socialist anarchists that were partially responsible for uh, the bombings that took place there and the violence along with the government's uh, putting down of the riots uh, would lead to them losing popularity By 1888, they would lose all their federally held seats, though they would still have a decent say in uh, state and local politics in the upper Midwest. Now, the Cleveland administration was not very productive. They did pass the Dawes Act, which regulated land of tribal territories within the U.S., gave the president that power, and the Hatch Act, which funded lots of agricultural colleges uh, for the country. Now, in the election of 1888, former Vice President James Blaine and his vice presidential candidate Benjamin Harrison, the grandson of former President William Henry Harrison, defeated President Cleveland. Now, the Blaine administration would see the advance of the previously mentioned Dry Dakota along with Montana and Washington in 1889. The Sherman Antitrust Act, a response to growing discontent with the monopolies that were held by many companies. Uh, would be passed in 1890. They would also see Idaho and Wyoming become states in 1890. Along with the Homestead Strike in 1892, on the violence re- violent response uh, of the Carnegie Steel Company, would revive an interest in workers' rights and socialist politics, which would help the Populist Party, which would be founded that same year. It would see the Populists uh, run a presidential ticket that year, uh, which helped lead to Blaine and Harrison winning re-election over Horace Boyce and Adelaide Stevenson uh, of the Democrats' Uh, in that populist ticket of James Weaver and James Fields. Now, the United States was not unaccustomed to financial crises, but the crisis of 1893 would lead to a grouping of the far-left parties of the day, the with the populist party uh, and various small socialist parties, uh, including the so- Socialist Labor Party, to form the Workers' People Party, um, commonly known as the WPP. You know that was obviously founded in eighteen ninety three. The next year, the Pullman strike uh, would bring the W.P.P. representative William Jennings Bryan and his very vibrant oratory skills to national attention. Two years later, Bryan would deliver his Cross of Gold speech, uh, decrying decrying the gold standard and pushing for the silver standard uh, which would seal him winning the WPP nomination uh, for that presidential election. And his popularity, uh, especially at Westwood, actually see his ticket finish second uh, in the presidential election, with William McKinley winning the presidency in 1896, due to the divided vote, in many ways, uh, that the WPP and Democrats had, the Democrat candidate Richard Bland, Um, finishing when it came to the Electoral College a distant third now one thing that was very interesting that came under the McKinley administration would be the admittance of Utah as a full state uh, in 1897 many Americans were wary of letting Utah in um, but after promising to not legalize polygamy. The Mormons were allowed to have their state. McKinley would also see the annexation of Hawaii in 1898, uh, as well as that year, the Spanish-American War breaking out. Now, this war would break out In a relatively similar way to the Spanish-Confederate War, uh, as the U.S. would back the independence of the Philippines, the Spanish were desperately clinging on to their last breaths of an empire. And the destruction Uh, of a U.S. warship outside of Manila Harbor would lead McKinley to ask for war and the U.S. to declare war on April 26th of 1898. Now this war would be the shortest war America has fought to date with a foreign power uh, as it would be concluded by August 1st. Now this war, while it was short, did make one man a national hero due to his heroics. uh, At the Battle of San Juan on the Spanish colony of Puerto Rico, a man who had been The Assistant Secretary to the Navy, Theodore Roosevelt, would lead a charge that would break the Spanish lines and lead to the United States capturing uh, the city that is still today the capital of Puerto Rico. And when this war ended, the U.S. would take Spain's two major colonies, Puerto Rico and Guam, uh, while the Spanish would have to recognize the independence of the Philippines, which would become a U.S. protectorate. There were those who wanted to take the Philippines as a colony, um, but most viewed that as highly impractical, considering it was on the other side of the largest ocean on the planet. And so it just coming under the American sphere of influence was enough to settle them. Now, this would also lead to benefits for America's European ally in the German Empire, uh, as Spain would sell them the few remaining islands that they had, that they hadn't turned over to the United States. So those two nations that both loved each other at this point and viewed themselves as very close had made land gains and and had fulfilled some of their imperial ambitions in a war that did not even last two months as the war had ended August 1st of 18 and 98. Now in the election of 1900 Kinley would change his vice presidential pick uh, due in large part to the Democrats and Workers People's Party nominating William Jennings Bryan. Uh, together he knew he would have to gained some ground, as although he was a rather popular president, uh, he didn't want to risk losing to to the great orator that he would have to face off with for the second time. And so Theodore Roosevelt, who had become the mayor of New York City, after winning fame in the, in the Spanish-American War and the Battle of San Juan would become his running mate. And this was in large part because the political machine in New York did not like Theodore Roosevelt. And the vice presidency was looked at, especially at the time, as a career killer as most vice presidents not becoming presidential nominees in the future as was as would become common later down the line. This would be more than enough and arguably was and arguably didn't end up being needed uh, as McKinley and Roosevelt would easily defeat Bryan to a degree to which you could argue that Roosevelt really wasn't needed. But the New York political machine that Guy White wanted, but they would later come to regret it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ultimate History Class Podcast. As this is a new podcast, I'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave a review. If you enjoy the show, give the show a follow and share it with friends, family, or anyone you think would enjoy it. If you want to reach out, you can email the show at althisclassgenial.com or follow it on Twitter at althisclasspod.com. Tune in next week to see what happens as we journey down the path.